spending this week like just, just reading through that. You know, you have this pattern of Easter and it comes up. And so when you're drawn to the Bible, you're reading the crucifixion, you're reading the resurrection, you're reading the stories of the disciples after the resurrection. You just, it just like hits you again that this, this thing, this thing they experienced of the Jesus who they'd follow being raised from the dead and appearing to them and hanging out with them and encouraging them. And then they see him like ascending up into heaven that it, it was undeniable to these guys. You see, like, you see Bartholomew there where he's like, he's like, what if we crucified you? And he's like, go for it. He's like, like, like we sang this morning, death, where's your sting? I've, I know that death isn't the end because a couple of days ago I watched Jesus be crucified and then I was just with him today. I know that death isn't the end of it. What, what's this life going to be? He's like, it changes everything. It changes everything I do, everything I think, every, every way that I move, like the purpose for my life, like everything changes in light of this thing. If this life isn't the end of it, if this life isn't all that there is, then it makes no sense then to live any other way than in light of, of eternity, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And, and I just want to look at the resurrection this morning, and I want to look at it particularly in light of one of the other disciples, uh, Peter. Um, and uh, Peter's a guy who, if you've heard me preach over the last while, who I've, like, I've really come to identify with over the last while. You may remember me preaching a sermon where I just had this moment of realization in the story of Peter when Jesus goes to wash his feet. And Peter's like, no, don't do it. And I realized in that moment that when I heard it, that, uh, that that was me and a way I'd related to God. And then the more time I spend around Peter, the more I realize that I'm, I'm like him. When people used to ask me, like, remember one time, Noel was like, turn to somebody and tell them your favorite like, Bible character. And, uh, and everybody, everybody should pick Jesus, yeah? If you don't pick Jesus, I should be sacked, okay? <laughs> like Jesus, most important one, right? But then, uh, Tom, oh, what did you say? John. Is uh, somebody else, and then another one, uh, I used to always say Paul, right, and that probably revealed kind of my high opinion of myself, because Paul is like this genius church leader, like incredible guy, he's like the guy I looked up to or whatever, but the uh, Lord has humbled me a bit since then, and as I look around, I see that, uh, that I identify most with this guy, Peter, and I think aside from Jesus, he's the guy who we know most about in the New Testament, all of the Gospels speak about him, we read loads of bits about him in Acts, and then we have these letters that he wrote as well, and we see his life right the way through from being called as like a humble, like like just fisherman, he's fishing one day, and Jesus walks along the coast, and he's like, Peter, come and follow me, Simon his name was at the time, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, and he, and he changes, Jesus changes Peter's name, it's like, Peter, I'm going to call you the rock, like, he, he, like his name was Simon, he changed it to Peter, which means rock, and you see then this guy Peter trying to live up to a name like that, trying to like, as a young Christian, as a young guy following Jesus, trying to figure it out, what it looks like, and he messes up left, right, and center, again, and again, and again, but, but through it all, you just have this incredible picture, and this is why I identify with it, I've messed up again, and again, and again, but through it all, you just see the keeping power of God in Peter's life, that he'd called him, and he sees him through, and he goes from this young guy who's just a fisher, to, to this guy who's hungry from God, but just keeps failing, and failing, and failing, through to the, the, the Pentecost kind of anointed Peter, who preaches, and thousands come to know the Lord, all the way through that as a young leader then, and as a missionary around the world, him and his wife traveled, and, and were missionaries across like Asia, and, and, and all around the world, all the way through to then when he writes his epistles, as a, as an, as a senior elder of the church that's been established you see just the keeping power of God and the Bible filters none of his story out to make him look any better than he was in fact it intentionally shows his faults and his failures and that's why I identify with him and so in speaking about the resurrection this morning um, I want to speak about it from something that Peter said um, and it's from this epistle that he wrote this letter that he wrote towards the end of his life um, and he starts with what I think from his experience he seemed to be the most important thing to him in his life. It's like he looks back 
to this moment where he realized that Jesus has rose from the dead, where he'd experienced him and seen him. And he's lived a life now in light of that. And he's writing to the churches scattered around Asia, scattered around the world, to different churches. And he's like, here's your advice. This is what he opens up with in the letter. And he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he, he gave us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That is, to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this brings you great joy, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that's tested by fire, even though it's passing away, and will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You've not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him. And so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy because you're attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, incredible, incredible words. He's opening up with just, look guys, here's what I want you to remember. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember, like, blessed be the Lord. He's like, God, I give you all the glory. I'm just going to remember what it is that you've, you've done for us. Look at what he's done. What a God he is. Because he's been resurrected and because he lives, we've been given this new birth that he speaks about into a living hope. And that's what I want to speak about, a living hope. Do you have a living hope this morning? Like, is there a hope that's alive inside you this morning? Peter's like, bless the Lord because I've got this hope that can't die. I've got this hope that won't go away, regardless of what situations are like, regardless of the trials he talks about here, the suffering that goes on for a while. He's like, there's something unshakable in me. Something has changed inside me. And there's a hope that's alive inside of me, this living hope. And he describes it as an inheritance that God has for us in heaven. And here's the three words he uses about it. He says it's imperishable, right? In verse 4, it's imperishable, meaning it can't die. Meaning that this thing is indestructible. It's something that, that can't be broken. There's no power of hell, no scheme of man that can pluck you from his hands. As we sang that, there's, 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 it's unbreakable. It can't die. It can't, it can't be lessened. It can't be beaten. Resurrected hope has no enemy. It's, been, it's overcome the enemy. Resurrected hope is imperishable. It's your, your living hope. It exists forever. He says it's undefiled, meaning it's pure. It is what it is because of God. It is what it is because God is who he is. Your hope is what it is because Jesus is who he is. Undefiled means that even if you become defiled, even if you step to the left or step to the right, your hope doesn't change because it's based in Jesus. It's undefiled forever, meaning like it can't change. It can't get worse. It's, it's there. And he says it's unfading, meaning it's secure. It's not fading away. It's steady. It's assured. It's going nowhere. It's there for you. There's a living hope for you to step into this morning. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, because of the resurrection, because of the historical fact of that, and what's, and what's happened in your life because of it, there's a living hope for you. And he's like, can you not see that you have a hope? Like, I want you to get it, I want you to get it. You have a hope that can't be overcome. It was secured forever when God raised Jesus from the dead. When he called you, and when you put your faith in Jesus, do you get it? Like Bartholomew said in that clip, it changes everything. When you get it, it changes, it changes everything. The hope changes how you understand what's going around you all the time. The ups and the downs, the successes and failures, the choices you make in life, your experience, what you do with your life. They all need to be seen in light of this hope that won't fail. 
And if those things have come in this morning and if, if when you look around you don't see the hope but you see the successes or failures or you see the struggles or you see the trials, my prayer this morning is that by the power of the same spirit that raised him from the dead that lives in you this morning, your eyes will be open to see the hope that you have today. You are not a hopeless person. You are not a hopeless case. There is no such thing as a hopeless case in Jesus. There's a living hope, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. There's a hope that exists for you today. We are not the people who look to the future with fear. Many people wake up with fear of the present and fear of the future. Just wake up with this dread in their hearts. What's the future going to hold? What's it going to hold for me relationship-wise? What's it going to hold for me job-wise? What's it going to hold for me comfort-wise and money-wise? What's going to happen with my kids? What's going to happen with my life? What's going to happen in these struggles I'm going through? How can I face today and the things I have to go on? But that's not the way that we should live as Christians. It's absolutely not. If we're living that way, we're living short of the hope that we have. And that's why Peter's holding it out. Don't forget the living hope. Don't forget the living hope. Focus your eyes on it. And we can like that even in church, waking up and, and like, oh, I just don't know what the future holds. But the Christian should look to the future with crazy confidence, with a, a smile kind of creeping across our face. When we sang words about like, like Jesus returns in robes of white, we sang the, the song at the end of Cornerstone. When he shall come with trumpet sound, or may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, I'm going to faultless stand before the throne, we sang it at the end of In Christ Alone, where it's like, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Listen to this line that we sang again, and I repeated it on purpose as we were singing it. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. One of two scenarios. Either Jesus is going to come back before you die, and you're going to be transformed in an instant into glory with him and live in eternity with, with him forever, or you die before Jesus comes back. Your spirit goes to be with him, and when he returns, your body raises up from the ground and meets him in the sky, and you're transformed in an instant and live forever in glory with Jesus Christ. I mean, these are the things that should be like, what? Like that's, that's nuts. Like, and, and, and when we think about that stuff, then all the other stuff, all the worry about, like, like when Peter describes the worries that we have, he's like, you might face trials for a short time. Now that short time might be years, right? But it's nothing in light of eternity. It's nothing in light of eternity. If you're facing trials for a short time, he's like, even here's what's going to happen in your trials. Your trials are going to like reveal the gold that's inside you. Meaning when you put your life into Jesus' hands, it says we got the fullness of Christ who lives in us. Meaning the full inheritance of who God is has been given to us. We've already looked at it. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's in you. And he's like, even when trials come, what are they going to do? They're going to just burn away the stuff that's in the way to reveal what it is that's already inside you because of Jesus. Because he was raised from the dead. That he, the best things in life point to him. The worst things in life expose more of how great he is in our lives. We have this living hope that can't change. An absolutely living hope. It's a, it's a huge thing. It's a brilliant thing. It's an incredible thing. And my hope this morning, my prayer this morning, my prayer this week for you guys and for us is that we step into that living hope. We walk with joy and confidence. We walk with face even into trials. We're like that Bartholomew. Yeah, go on, do your worst. What's going to happen? I'm going to go to be with glory. When Paul is like, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain, because when I die, I go to be in glory. This life is nothing compared to the eternity that waits for me. And I know there's an eternity because I know death isn't the end. How do I know death isn't the end? Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That changes everything, guys. That reframes everything we know or think we know about life. It shows us this isn't the end of things. This isn't all there is. There's realms that exist beyond that. It's possible for a man to be raised from the dead. And the man who was raised from the dead, proving himself to be God, says that I'm going to raise you up with me. When he ascends and he says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. It's like, 
Just dwell on these things. Think on these things. And watch all the other worries and stuff just like be seen in light of what they are. They're tiny compared to, to who he is. We can walk through anything. Suffer for a short while knowing that we're, we're awaiting our salvation. We're awaiting eternity in glory with him. And these words of Peter, they hold such weight to me. They hold weight in light of who Jesus is. And they hold weight because we know who Peter is. Because he's not a person who, who, was, who, was like, who got it all right, yeah? Sometimes we picture Bible people and it's like, here's the way we would think the story would happen or the way we're fooled into thinking the Christian life should be, right? Jesus is walking on the seashore. He sees Peter and he says to Peter, come follow me, I'll make you fisher of men. Peter says, yeah, and follows him. And from that day on, everything went great. From that day on, Peter followed him and he knew everything and he got everything right. And every step was a step forward and every step like, like, like made him better. And every, every step like he just moved from glory to glory and he never had any setbacks at all. And that's what your Christian life should look like. That's what we, we kind of think by default. And then you live it for a few minutes and you realize that that's not it, yeah? You live it for a few minutes and you realize that you get smacked around by the world. And you live it for a few minutes and you realize that you fail as much as you succeed. And you live it for a few minutes and you realize that there's times you let God down, even though you know what he did for you. You live it for a few minutes and you know, yeah, I love him with all my heart. But then there's these other things that just come in and knock me out of the race for a while. But the story of Peter shows the keeping power of God, even in the midst of failures. And what I want us to do is to look back through some of his life and see that these weren't, aren't the words of a guy who had it easy. They're the words of a guy who failed in every way you can think of. And yet God's keeping power kept him. Why? Because the living hope is imperishable. The living hope is undefiled and living hope is unfading. It can't change. It's there. And it keeps him from beginning to the end. The Bible has no time talking about the hard, no problem talking about the hard times in Peter's life because it sees them, it knows what they are, it knows that they're an investment in the good times. See, if we have this perspective, I was listening to, to the radio the other day and there was this guy on uh, from some RTE, we don't have the RTE stations, but there's some program about managing your money or some big thing that's been on recently and, and this guy's become a bit of a celebrity and he was on the radio anyway, answering questions from people ringing in. And somebody rang in and they were giving out how their pension fund has, like, uh, has lost money this year. And, uh, and his, his response surprised me. He was, he was like, what age are they? And they were like 35, 36. And he's like, that's great news. And they're like, how is it great news? And they're like, because, because it means that you can buy more of that same stock this year for cheaper than you did last year. He's like, if it cost you 10 grand to buy stock in that pension last year, now you're going to get the same amount of stock for 8 grand. Or you're going to get more stock for your 10 grand that you're investing in this year. And he's like, his point was this, if you're not cashing out right now, you don't need to worry about the ups and downs. The downs are good news because it means you can buy more stock, which means when it goes up, you make more out of it, right? And the, the thing that just hit me in the middle of that was that in our Christian life, we have like these ups and downs and we think the ups are the best bits. But really in the downs, God is revealing what's going on and he's making an investment into our life. He's doing something. He's investing something into our life. And when you're in the middle of a down this morning, here's what you need to remember. It's not time to cash out yet. It's not time. You don't need to worry about it. It's not time to cash out. You need to participate with what God is doing in your life, what God is investing in your life in this season. What is, if you're failing in some way, he's showing you that your, your hope is in something else so that it can crumble away and your hope can be in him. Some of the gold in your life is being re revealed by fire. It's being tested to see what's there. And as it's revealed, you just need to remember, I'm not cashing out yet. And when I cash out, what do I have? An inheritance that's imperishable, that's undefiled, and that's never fading. When I cash out, when it comes time to do it, I stand on Jesus Christ and his righteousness, and I'm assured of an eternity in glory. This isn't the end of the race. This isn't the end of it. And that's why Peter's able to say it. He's walked through some stuff. Peter's called 
by Jesus. He's called. And, he, and there's something in him that's just like, yeah, this, I want to follow this guy. And I hope that's been you at some point in your life, that you've heard the call of God. You've heard the call to follow. And to Peter, it was a costly call. Peter's a married guy. He had a business. He had whatever. And Jesus calls him, and he, and he upsticks and follows him. And follow him not just spiritually, as in, oh, you send me some teachings, and I'll stay here. And do it. follows him physically. Like, walks around, does stuff with him. Like, I hope that at some point there's been a call on your life that isn't just a call of, I I need forgiveness for my sins, but a call to actually follow Jesus into the world. A call where he calls you. He calls your life and he says, he says, Sean, follow me. Myrtle, follow me. And there was something within you that's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to follow this Jesus. I'm going to follow him, that we follow him. And then you see, he becomes his disciple and he's, he's learning to do what Jesus does and he goes around and he sees all this stuff happening. He sees miracles happening. He sees people healed. Even Peter's own mother-in-law was healed. She was sick and Jesus prays for her and she's healed. And he's like seeing miracles in his own household. And Peter is the one then who seems to be hungry to understand what's going on with Jesus. He has this question in heart, yeah? So he's the one when uh, there's like the parable, say, of the sower. And after he's like, Jesus, why are you talking in parables? What does this mean he's hungry for it he's hungry he's the one who asked jesus to explain what's going on as things are happening so there's this hunger this following there's this hunger for jesus and i pray and i hope that you have that stuff and he gets to see amazing things and then you see peter kind of growing in boldness right and there's one time they're all out on the lake and they see he sees jesus walking towards them on the water and peter is like lord is that you let me come to you and jesus is like all right come on so peter steps out of the boat onto the water and walks towards jesus he walks on water a fisherman who spent his whole life in water knowing like you don't get out of the boat you don't get out of the boat you don't get out of the boat steps out of the boat and finds like there's something solid under his feet and walks on the water towards jesus miraculous incredible but just in case we start to hold up peter and idolize him the bible doesn't leave out the 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 figure that he took his eyes off jesus and splash right He, he fails right in the same moment right right in the same part of the story of this incredible i'm walking on water i'm walking on water i'm walking on water wait a minute i'm gone anyone's life been like that Anyone's life, I'm taking a step out, I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus, I'm doing this, I'm believing for this thing, I'm, 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 I'm going into this place, I'm going to do this thing, and then all of a sudden we take our eyes off and splash, we're gone, we sink, what does Jesus do? He reaches his hand down, picks him up, restores him, questions him, Wait, where's your faith, Peter? And brings him back to the boat, like Jesus is there, he catches him. Just because you fall, you're not out of the race, now isn't the time to cash out, there's inheritance going on. There's, there's something being learned. He learns in that thing. What's he learning in that moment? Don't take my eyes off Jesus. There's a learning in it. The failure is there so that we, so that we learn. What are you going to do in your failure? Are you going to learn? There's, he moves on from that story. And we preached on this a while ago. Do you remember one time Jesus gathers everyone together, his disciples? And he's like, who do people think that I am? Right? And they're like, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Whatever they were thinking. And he, spe- he turns to them. He's like, who do you say I am? And Peter, again, is the one who pipes up. And Peter's like, I, I, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the one who's promised. And Jesus, in the biggest kind of like Martin Buchel, like clap on the back that Peter ever gets, right? It's like, it's like, Peter, listen to this. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My father in heaven revealed that to you. Now imagine, imagine what Peter's hearing there. He's like, Peter, you've received revelation from, from God in heaven. He's equating Peter to like the prophets that have gone before, the people who spoke. He's like, Peter, you've, you've received revelation. And then if that wasn't enough, right, just like that being built up and that, he's like, here's what's going to happen, Peter. I'm going to build my church on this rock, 
Peter's name is the rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys, Peter, to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. Gives him this authority. Can you imagine that moment, right? That's in verse 20 of Matthew chapter uh, 16, I think it is, right? Verse 20, right? By verse 24, four verses later, okay? Straight away, we stop at that bit, right? Straight away, Jesus then starts talking about, here's what's going to have to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to face persecution and death. And Peter, thinking he's the man now who hears from God, right? I'm the one one who knows who hears from God. says, no, we can't let that happen, Jesus. That's not going to happen. We'll we'll figure something out. What does Jesus say to him? Four verses after saying to him, you've heard this from God. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And there's a reversal of it. A minute ago, he just said, or or a few verses ago, he just said, you didn't hear this from, from flesh and blood. You heard this from heaven. He reverses it and he says back to him, he says, Peter, you're not listening to the spirit. He's like, like, you're moving as a human. You're moving in the flesh. The exact words it uses is, uh, you're setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. There's like a reverse. And it's almost like this ground that Peter got. All of a sudden, he takes a step and just loses it <laughs> again. He's like, just because, guys, you've heard from God, just, just because you've had a moment of hearing from God, doesn't mean that everything you say from this point on is going to be gospel, Yeah? doesn't mean that everything, you're going to get it right every step of the way. Just because you've had a moment, just because you've had a word, doesn't mean you get it right. But God still built his church, and God still used Peter. And we know the end of the story. If you were Peter then, you probably would have felt like, oh man, I had some ground, but now I'm out of the race. Now Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Like, not just get behind me, Peter, like you have it a little bit wrong. Get, get behind me, Satan. A minute ago, you're the one who hears from God, now you're Satan. But what's he doing? He's showing him, Peter, you had, you had glimpses of it, and then you stepped into your own stuff. You need to learn. You need to recognize the difference between the two. There's a learning in it. Are you going to learn? Are you going to learn from me? And that's Jesus' heart in the rebuke. Are you going to learn from me? And we know it's his heart because we get to see the life of Peter who becomes the rock. We get to see it lived out. We get to see the church built as he goes on, yeah? And not that he never failed, but he continues to, to, to grow. There's something in him that keeps him going. As we move on, we see that Peter, he wasn't written off. God was investing in him. Maybe you've had incredible words spoken over your life. Maybe somebody has said something to you like, like, like you know the Holy Spirit was in it and he's revealed, this is who I've made you to be. This is who you are. But then in the very next breath, you've gone and done something completely off the wall that's not in line with it. You need to know that doesn't negate the words that God spoke over your life. That if you surrender to him, if you don't use it as an excuse to just pack it in and leg it, that's one thing he didn't do. He didn't just leg it. He, like, he took correction. He stood there. He, he, he took it and he moved on with it. If you, if you take it, that God will take you and he'll shape you. Why? Because he's, he's called you. And those words can still come to pass. That there's not, you don't have to write them off. You don't have to be like, I've, I've missed it. I've messed up. Those words can still come to pass because you have an inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. And that's unfading because of what Jesus did. We have the story. It moves on. We have the Passover story that I told you impacted my life. And you see, even in the middle of that, Peter flip-flopping again. Peter won't let Jesus wash his feet. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, I need to wash your feet. You've nothing got to do with me. And Peter, like then, they're kind of like, I think Peter had ADHD or something. Peter, it's just like, he, he just like, he's like, all right, then, then, then like, wash, wash my head and wash my body and wash all of me. And he's like, Jesus, like, take it easy, Peter. You don't, you don't need all of that. You've had a bath. You just need me to wash your feet. Speaking about, you followed me. There's been this initial washing, this baptism. There's been this, this, this thing. Now you just need me to get in and clean you up. But you need to not be moving in your own strength. You need me to wash you up. You need me to clean you up. You need, if you want to have a part in me, you need to realize that I came to, to serve you and to do this. And so he lets him. 
And you think, all right, that's great. In the same scenario, the same, the same meal, they sit down to eat. And, and they're, ta- they're walking around and they're talking. And, or not walking around, they're sitting around and they're talking. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You can imagine, like in his heart, like, oh, man, what's this being said about? How am I going to deny him? Can you imagine even the determination? No, I'm not. Like, you've warned me about it. Now, no, I'm not. I'm going to look out for it. And I'm not going to do it. And uh, and yet we find him then. We see it moves on from then to like the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says to Peter and the other disciples, well, you keep watch. I need to go and pray, right? And what do they do? They fall asleep. You ever been there? God told you to do something. You went to sleep. God told you to do something and you dropped the ball. God gives you an assignment to do and you just, and you, you don't do it. Is Peter written off? No. Because God has called him because he has a living hope. And you see that then, Peter, right, and probably feeling guilty for falling asleep in the garden, then they come to arrest Jesus. And Peter whips out a sword, and he's like probably trying to make up for this whole sleeping thing. We should have been awake. He whips out a sword, and he lashes at one of the, the soldiers that comes, and he cuts off his ear. And instead of Jesus, probably thinking Jesus is going to be like, right, here's the moment. Now we're going to take over Jerusalem. Peter's going to lead the way with the sword, and we're all going to go into battle. Jesus instead rebukes Peter, rebukes him for trying to protect him, and heals the ear of the soldier. You see just Peter in this rebuking Jesus. The Friday then. Jesus is arrested. The Friday. Jesus is crucified. And as he's crucified, you, 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 like Peter loses his, his friend. Peter loses this man who was walking. Peter's in, in these questions. What am I going to do? In the middle of it, three different times, people approach him. Aren't you that? Aren't you that Galilean? Aren't you that one who was with you? He was recognizable. Apparently, like Galileans had like this accent. They were kind of like a bit crazy. They're like Northsiders in Dublin. You just recognize them. You can just tell by like the, what? You can just tell by the ging off them. When you look at there's like, <laughs> that's it. It's, it's a Northsider. That's it. That's a Galilean, right? So they recognize him. They're like, aren't you that who was with that Jesus? Three times, once to a kid. He's like, no, backs off. That has to be the one that hurts, man. That has to be. Because I know it's the times that's hurt me. Times when I had a chance. Are you a Christian? I'll change the subject. Times when I had a chance to stand up for God. I had the chance to proclaim who he is. A chance to be identified. A chance to, like, yeah, absolutely, I'm a Christian. My whole life is about Jesus. I love him. Let me tell you about him. And instead, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I go to church. See the football? Change the subject. Just, do you know, like, times when I know I've denied that has to have crushed him. Absolutely crushed him. He's let him down. He's let down his friend. That's the Friday. The Sunday, Jesus raised from the dead. Word comes through. Jesus appears to them in the upper room. He walks with them. He eats with them. He cooks them fish at one stage for a meal to sit down. They're having a laugh together. Like, like, like Jesus is restored to them. This Jesus they just watched being crucified. And in the same way Peter denies him three times, Jesus comes to him and is like, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Second time. No, I love you, Lord. Third time. Peter, do you love me? It's like restoring them. Three times you failed, so what? Here we go. Do you love me? What's in your heart, Peter? What's in your heart? Yeah, you failed. Okay, what, look, what's in your heart? Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Jesus restoring Peter. He sees Jesus ascend into heaven. 
They wait in the upper room. Pentecost comes, boom, filled with the Holy Spirit. St. Peter, who denied Jesus a while back, St. Peter, who was failing left, right, and center, stands up in front of a crowd of people now from all over the world who think they're all mad, think they're nuts. They're like, you guys are drunk. What are you at? You're all speaking in different languages. You're all messing. It's early in the morning. And he's like, I don't know how else to explain this other than something has happened. The Holy Spirit has fell on us. And he tells us this story of Jesus, who was crucified, who was raised from the dead, and who's now sent his Holy Spirit and fulfilled the promise that he said, that I'll pour out my flesh on all people. And he speaks, and thousands of people come to know Jesus. Jesus. And you see this thing, I mentioned it last week, but you see this thing where over three years that Jesus walks with Peter, he spends three years emptying Peter of himself, and then in an instant he fills Peter with his Holy Spirit. He spends three years emptying him, lesson after lesson after lesson, emptying him of his own self-reliance, emptying him of his own like, like running ahead with stuff, emptying him of his fear, emptying him of his stuff, and then in a second he fills him with the Holy Spirit. And he's changed. Now, is he changed and never messes up again? No, he absolutely messes up again. There's a whole scenario with Paul and the Gentiles and all that stuff. But I love that in the story. I love it in the story because just because you're filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you never mess up again. doesn't make you infallible. doesn't mean you won't step into your own flesh at times. But what it does mean is you've been set aside, you've been marked for an inheritance that's imperishable, that's undefiled, and that's unfading. Why do you need an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance? Because if it was up to you, it would perish. It would be defiled every day, and it would fade away, yeah? But if it's based on Jesus, then it's not based on you. And it means regardless of where you walk, regardless of the failures you have, if your heart is set on him, if you take correction, if you turn to him, then, 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 then you can't lose. This life isn't the end of it. Your story isn't over. You haven't cashed out. Why did Jesus not give up on Peter? All the messing up. Why did he not give up on him? Because he called him. Last week when we were in worship, Patrice had this word and it just she, she spoke it out and there was something that it just it resonated with me like the voice of God. And she said, I see this vision. There's people hiding in the shadows afraid to come out. And Jesus is saying to him, do you not get it? I've called you. Did you hear that? I've called you. I, Jesus, have called you. Jesus has called you. And if Jesus has called you, Jesus walks with you. Jesus holds you in his hand. Jesus gets you. If you've responded to that call and gone with him and been like, yeah, if he's given you the grace to do that, then, then your life is assured and Jesus doesn't give up. Like we failed. Like, like Peter, Peter failed in so many different ways. You name it, it's there. But every step of the way, he'd been called by Jesus. And there was some recognition in him. Why did Peter not give up on himself when he failed? A lot of us would have thought, oh, I've messed it up now. I've denied the guy. I messed it up now, I sank, I messed it up, or whatever. Why did Jesus not give up? Or why did Peter not give up on, uh, on himself? Because Jesus had called him. Because he knew Jesus had called him. There's one point that really just reveals the heart of Peter to me. And, uh, and it's actually when he's talking about communion. Again, he's talking about his death. And Jesus starts talking to a group of people. Loaded, he has loads of disciples at this point, not just the twelve. And he's like, you're going to have to eat my body and drink my blood. And people are like, he's a wacko. And they did. They just left him. They just left. And he turns to his disciples and he's like, the 12 guys, he's called. Not just who followed, but he's called. Who know, have heard the call of Jesus. And he's like, what, what are you guys going to do? Do you want to leave as well? He says to them. And Peter says this to him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we've believed and come to know that you're the Holy One of God. What's Peter's response? Where? believe that you're God, Jesus. I love, where am I going to go? What am I, I going to do? What am I going to go back and, and fish? 
I'm not going to go chasing money. I'm not going to go chasing women. I'm going to go chasing power. Look what. You're God. Where, where am I going to go? What am I, what am I going to, what else? I'm ruined for anything else because you've called me. I'm ruined for anything else in the best way you can imagine because we're assured of heaven and eternity. Where, where else are you going to go? You're feeling like packing it in this morning. Where, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What are you going to chase? What has the world got to offer you? And even if it's riches, if it's power, if it's, if it's like the most imagine, like incredible imaginable stuff, yeah, and then you go to hell. What has the world to offer? Jesus has the words of life. Through your trials, he's teaching you. Doubt and fear brought up in Peter when he sinks. Jesus is like, why'd you, why'd you fear? Where's your faith? Anger, when he tries to chop off the servant's ears, root it up in him, and there's a chance to grow. There's a chance to say, no, it's the way of peace. I'm following the Prince of Peace. The need to make his own way when he won't let Jesus wash his feet, when he won't humble himself. And Jesus reveals, you can't have anything got to do with me unless you do this. There's lesson after lesson. His, his trying to be God when he's like, no, we won't let this happen to you, Jesus. So I, I'm going to fix this for you. You may want to go to the cross, but I'm not going to let it happen. He's taking control. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. And shows him, you're not God, I am. Trust me. Trust me. His, 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 his self-sufficiency, thinking, oh, I'm going to be the one who, who follows. I'm the rock, I'm the one, I'm the... And then, he fa- and then he fails. And Jesus is like, you're not going to impress me, Peter. You denied me three times, but here's what matters. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he's restored. And it's beautiful. And we get to see a life held by God. We get to see a life living in the living hope. A life that was real. A life that was battle-tested. A life that's been through it all. A life that I bet you you identify with in some way this morning. But you see the holding power of God. What makes the difference? That you were called. And if God is calling you this morning or reminding you of your calling, let's just take the chance to say, here I am. Here I am. I was about to leg it, but here I am. I was about to go in a different direction, but, but actually, where, where would I go? I've failed you, Lord. I've messed up. I've done, the, I've done the very things that I said that I wasn't going to do. The exact things that I promised myself I wasn't going to do. The exact things I even promised you I wasn't going to do. I've gone and done them. Jesus like, do you love me? some restoration for you. You're in my hand. I've called you. I've called you. Same Jesus who was resurrected from the dead, who sits now at the right hand of God above every name, above every power, above every authority, who gets defining rights on everything that happens in the world has called you. I don't care what you've messed up like. I don't care what you've done. God's grace is bigger. God is bigger. And you have a living hope. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's perfect. And it's unfailing. Lord, we come before you, Lord, on this resurrection Sunday, Lord God, and we cry out to you for resurrection hope to come alive in our hearts, Lord. Resurrection hope to come alive. Lord God, where we, where, 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 even when we mention those words and like immediately like our failures come to mind, Lord God, I want instead, Lord God, you're, you being raised from the dead to come to mind. I know that there's nothing that's impossible for you, Jesus. There's no situation, there's no avenue I've gone down, there's no road I've, I've taken, there's no way that I've, I've messed up that's beyond you, Jesus. And we learn from your word and we stand on your word this morning, Lord God, that you restore all things, Lord God. And we put our faith, Lord, in the hope that we have, Lord, that's imperishable, Lord. 
Why is it imperishable? Because you never die, because you were raised from the dead. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where's your victory? And there's a call to us as the church, come stand in the light. As we sang in that song, as the glory of God has defeated the night. And we we stand in that today, Lord God. Spiritually, Lord God. Decision-wise, with our mind, Lord God. With our emotions, whatever it takes, Lord. We align ourselves this morning with the truth of your word as it's been proclaimed, Lord. That we've been raised from the dead into a living hope, Lord God. And that regardless of what happens in this life, even if we have to suffer every day for the rest of this life, Lord God. That we're assured of an eternity with you, God. That's perfect, Lord God. That's restored. That's glorious. that's beautiful, that's healed, Lord God, that's incredible, Lord God, that we get to know and live in your presence, Lord God, that we be caught up in the air with you, Lord God, and transformed in an instant, Lord. And so as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we walk through the trials, Lord God, as we walk through the storms, Lord, as we suffer even now for a moment, Lord God, would we keep in perspective, Lord God, the eternal God who has his hand on our lives, who's called us according to his purposes, who is the first and last and everything in between, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, that he who began the good work in us will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And we await that day, Lord God, with great joy, with great hope, Lord God, with a hope that's alive in our hearts, Lord, applied to our lives, Lord God. We apply it, Lord, to our lives right where we're at this morning, Lord. The doubts and the fears that we came in with this morning, Lord God. We apply the living hope of Jesus to them today, Lord God. The failures that we came in condemned by, we, we apply the living hope of Jesus. We say that your blood speaks a better word, Lord God, than anything else that's spoken in the world, Lord God. And your blood speaks, Lord God, that we are righteous in you, Lord God. That there's a plan and a purpose for our lives, Lord God. And we surrender to that, Lord God. We surrender to it, Lord. We allow you in, Lord, to wash us, Lord God, from the inside out, Lord God. We take lessons from this life, Lord God. And we take hope, Lord God. And we even say, Lord God, in affirming this this morning, Lord God, that today is not the day that we cash out, Lord God. Today is not the day that we cash out, Lord God. Today is the day of investment, Lord God, into the eternal hope that we have in you, Lord. I release it over your people today. In Jesus' name to take a hold of and to leave here walking in that, in that space, in that frame of mind, in that glory, in that living hope this morning, Lord. And I pray over your people, God will bless you and God will keep you and God's going to cause his face to shine upon you today. God's going to lift up his countenance upon you today and he's going to give you peace, the shalom of God, his healing and his wholeness and everything that he is into your life if you receive it today in Jesus' name. So we receive it. Amen. Amen. God is good. God is good.